I'd like for us to continue our study, uh, Foundations of the Faith. Uh, tonight, we'll start a new topic, and so that means I get to add this new stone. Look, I've been working out. See how easy it is for me? To... <clears throat> so uh, this topic is the future, and I will put it right there. And this will be the last topic in this series of fundamental topics of the faith, starting with the Bible as our reference point. From it, we derived God's mind, we think, on all of these topics. And we will do the same with reference to this one, the future. In fact, we have to consult God's word because he's the only one who has been to the future. We're, we haven't been there yet. We got through the past, that's good, but we're locked into the present. We don't know much about what the future holds without uh, the information given to us by God, who is a, himself a timeless being. And so uh, we're going to be on this topic, future things, I think for several months. And tonight, I just want for us to begin to give a general outline uh, also next week. And then thereafter, we'll deal with specific ingredients in what I believe is uh, uh, clearly laid out in the scriptures, God's prophetic calendar for the world. Now, before we begin, let me, uh, uh, let me tell you a story. Uh, my wife and I uh, were not too many months ago able to visit her family on the Pacific Northwest. It's a beautiful part of the country. If you've been there, you know what I mean. Uh, and so we traveled a bit through Oregon and Washington. It's quite beautiful. Uh, they have mountains there that are uh, breathtaking, snow-covered during almost all times of the year. And from many vantage points uh, in Oregon or Washington, you could look out and see marvelous panoramic views of striking mountain ranges. And even from a distance, as you're looking to uh, these magnificent mountain ranges, even from a distance, you could specifically identify prominent mountain peaks in these range of mountains. You can say, ah, there's Mount Rainier, and there's this mount, and there's that mount. But what's interesting, though you could identify these peaks, which loom so large even from a distance, from a distance you cannot discern how much distance there is between the peaks. You see them stick up and you could name them and identify them and any two people seeing it would come to the same conclusion, though if asked they may differ about, oh, that peak, I think, is five miles away from that peak. Another, another would say, oh, no, I think it's much less, only about two miles. And so they can have a difference of opinion about the details, but not about the clear panorama and the easily identified peaks in the mountain range. Well, I tell you that story because that's how I would like for us to approach future things. I don't want us to get unduly bogged down in the details, which, though they be important, 
are up for grabs, meaning we're free to differ about the timing of certain things. And we really can't know, I think, surely not I, with much specificity, all of the details in God's prophetic mountain range. But I think we can, all of us, nonetheless, still clearly identify the prominent peaks in God's prophetic mountain range. And that's how we're going to approach this topic. So when I began to think about it, I must say I spoke to God and told him I'm a blank slate. I don't know how to approach this. Where do I begin? And I remember asking God, I would love it if you would, if you would impress upon me some, some outline, some handle on biblical prophecy, some linchpin, something to pull it all together and make communication of the broad strokes in your prophetic calendar clear to people. And frankly, folks, I think God said, sure. And here it is. And I should have known better. It's been there all along. But I, I guess I have developed a new appreciation for four verses of Scripture it's in Daniel chapter 9, and I think if we pay attention to it, we will see this as our um, map, if you will, our um, topographical map, our guide as we hike through uh, God's prophetic mountain range. So let me call your attention to Daniel 9 and before we look specifically at it. Let me give you a background. Israel, ancient Israel, was doing what she is so prone to do, sinning and hardening herself against the God who blessed her and loved her. And God communicated through his prophets to Israel that short of her repentance, she would go off being carried away into bondage by a fierce people for 70 years. It was just that specific were God's words to Israel. And in fact, this happened. Uh, the Babylonians came to Jerusalem and they took captive with them the residents therein and carried them off uh, for 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And one of them who was carried off was none other than Daniel. But their 70 years of captivity was now about to end. And Daniel, being a man of prayer, came before God and said, Oh God, now what? That is essentially what he asked. Now that the people, by your grace, will be returning what do you have in store for them? What is your plan for Israel? Now, when Daniel asked it, he was looking for uh, a response concerning Israel's immediate situation upon return to the land. But God, who is gracious and answers even way beyond what we ask, did that. He sent a messenger, a divine messenger, an angel named Gabriel. 
And Gabriel spoke to Daniel words of prophecy specifically regarding Israel's future, but which went way beyond her near future and which take us into the distant future in God's prophetic mountain range. So this is God's words in answer to Daniel's prayer delivered through Gabriel for Daniel and for anyone here who will pay attention. So let's do so. Uh, the first verse is Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. And uh, we'll only look at two verses tonight, and Lord willing, uh, the next two next week. There's too much in it for us to cover too much ground. Here's what it says. Seventy weeks have been decreed, it's Gabriel speaking, remember, for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So this is Gabriel's prophecy given by God to Daniel, and notice it concerns Daniel's people and Daniel's holy city. Doesn't it say that? Seventy weeks, can you see it? Have been decreed for your people and your holy city. Well, Daniel's people were the Jews, and his holy city was Jerusalem. I, I feel almost like apologizing to you because the Bible is such a Jewish book. I just don't want you to think I'm monopolizing the time. But even when I want to give it a break, uh, the Messiah of Israel says, no. Folks, you cannot get a grip on God's prophetic calendar unless you see that the unfolding of the events very much concern uh, God's chosen people and in particular, Yerushalayim, the holy city, uh, Jerusalem. So if you're a student of prophecy, all you have to do is be a student of the news. Keep reading, keep your eyes, keep your focus of attention on Israel and on Jerusalem in particular, because therein is the unfolding of God's prophetic plan, but not just for the Jews, through the Jews to all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is how the angel begins. And Gabriel informed Daniel that 70 weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city for six things to be accomplished. If you look carefully to this verse, you'll see six things. And so here is the first, to finish transgression. What does that mean? Well, in the Hebrew, it literally means to restrain firmly and finally transgression. Folks, in Daniel's day, sadly, and then just as much, if not more, in the Lord's day, and surely down to our very day, uh, the world has been characterized by unrestrained transgression. In fact, it saddens us 
it disappoints us. Sometimes it discourages us to see it. But I tell you, according to Gabriel's prophecy here, there will be a day when this will stop. That's what it means. There will be a day when Almighty God will finish, will restrain, finally, transgression. The second thing that has to happen during the 70 weeks of Gabriel's prophecy is to make an end of sin. 70 weeks, keep it in mind, have been decreed. That means divine decree. God said it must be this way, therefore it must be this way. The first thing that must happen within 70 weeks, we covered to finish transgression. The second, to make an end of sin. Now the verb there in Hebrew means to seal up. The thought is of sealing something up for ultimate and final punishment. There will be a day within these 70 weeks when sin will be finally judged and punished and sealed up. The third thing that is decreed to be accomplished within the 70 weeks is that during this time, uh, God will make atonement for iniquity. God will do this. He will make a final atonement, provide a final covering, an ultimate covering for sin. That's what atonement means. And then the fourth thing is to bring in everlasting righteousness. You have never experienced that. Neither have I. The world has never seen it. We've had our good days, but generally speaking, they haven't lasted long. But Gabriel's prophecy is that it is decreed within these 70 weeks, this era characterized by everlasting righteousness has to be ushered in. In other words, God will establish an age characterized no longer by corruption and sin and unrighteousness, but by the opposite. Righteousness will pervade the earth, and it will do so everlastingly, eternally, forever. And then the next thing, which according to this prophecy must be accomplished, is to seal up vision and prophecy. What does that mean? One day, did you know, prophets and prophecy will no longer be necessary? Why not? Well, because one day God will do all he has told us he intends to do through his prophets. One day what God said he would do will be done. And when that happens, there is no longer any need for prophets or prophecy, and that's what it means. Within this period, undefined still yet, 70 weeks, God intends to seal up vision and prophecy. And then the next thing is to anoint the most holy place. People differ about what that means, but I've looked at this, and I find that the phrase, the most holy place, occurs in the Old Testament approximately 39 times. And every time, at least in, to my mind, correct me if uh, you think I'm wrong, every time the phrase occurs, it seems to me to be clearly a reference to the Holy of Holies, which was the specially construct, 
protected inaccessible room which was part of the tabernacle and temple which only Aaron the high priest could enter into once a year Yom Kippur the day of atonement so this says within the 70 weeks one of the divinely decreed outcomes which must occur is that the most holy place will be anointed in other words rededicated and reestablished well that's interesting because there ain't no temple today. I don't know if you knew that. But if you go looking for it in Israel today, you'll be surprised instead by a, a rather beautiful, at least on the outside, golden domed mosque, which is now in the place on which Solomon and then the second temple, Herod's temple, once stood. So this tells me if this is a divinely decreed Outcome That must take place within the 70 weeks. This tells me, folks, though the temple does not stand today, it will, it must, it shall one day. How? Since the temple platform is presently occupied and is the third holiest site in Islam, I don't think they're going to voluntarily move it. I don't know how God is going to pull it off. I just know he are. So take your pictures of that dome now. Now, folks, if you look to this list of six, perhaps you notice that the first three goals, the first three prophetic goals of God indicated in this verse require the finished work of Christ on the cross. You cannot finish transgression, make an end of sin, and surely you cannot make atonement for iniquity apart from the cross on which Jesus died. So when this prophecy was pronounced by Gabriel to Daniel, it was future from Daniel's point of view. Now do you notice the second three divinely decreed outcomes in the list require the establishment of Christ's future kingdom. There is no way to bring in everlasting righteousness, seal up vision and prophecy, and anoint the holy place until the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the establishment of his kingdom rule and reign on earth. So in one verse so far, we're seeing information about the first coming of the Lamb to suffer and die. We're seeing general information about the establishment of his kingdom on earth characterized by things like an everlasting era of righteousness. And we are told that these six things must be accomplished in 70 weeks. Let's look at it. The Hebrew word for weeks literally means sevens. Sheva. Sevens. So the phrase 70 weeks is actually 70 sevens. Gabriel's prophecy involves 70 distinct periods of sevens. Seventy groups of sevens. Now, having established that, the question 
we're led to is sevens of what? Sevens of weeks? Sevens of months? No. Why? Because 70 distinct periods of weeks or even 70 distinct periods of months do not provide enough time for the accomplishment of the six divinely decreed prophetic goals which we have just read about. How about 70 periods of years? 70 periods of weeks of years. 70 times 7. 490 years. Folks, stay with me. 490 years from a certain starting point, which we'll see tonight, fits the prophetic calendar given to us in the Bible perfectly, to the T. So, move with me now just to one more verse, Daniel 9.25, the next verse. So, you are to know and discern. Apparently, God wants Daniel and by extension, us, to get it right. You are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Messiah, the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. So this period of time these 490 years have a starting point, and God is good enough to tell us what it is. Right here. The 490 years begin with the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's what it says right there in that verse. So Jerusalem was destroyed, as I mentioned, by the Babylonians in 586, 586 B.C. I sneeze too when I think of Babylonians. I know, they just make me, they make me sneeze. They came, they conquered uh, in, 400 and, in 586 B.C. Now, subsequent to that, there was only one, not three, four, one decree ever issued for the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And it was the decree given to Nehemiah by the Persian king Artaxerxes somewhere around 445 to 444 B.C. The Babylonians came and took off the Jews, but the Medes beat up on them, the Medes and the Persians. So the Babylonian Empire gave way to the Medo-Persian Empire, the ruler of which is this character named Artaxerxes. And he, he didn't know what he was doing, but God is working even through him. He said to the Jews, go home and rebuild. And he issued a formal governmental decree towards that effect in 445 B.C. So we know, therefore, that 445 B.C. is the starting point for the fulfillment of the six divinely decreed initiatives we read about in Daniel 9, verse 24. This is the starting point in Gabriel's prophecy of 70 weeks. 
Now we're given a second time cue in this verse before you, verse 25. From the issuance of the decree to rebuild in 445 B.C., notice what it says. Until Messiah, the prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. So Messiah, the prince, in Hebrew, Moshiach Nagid, is Jesus the Christ. How do I know this? Especially in light of the fact that the word prince, Nagid, can in fact be used of human rulers. I'll tell you how I know. In this case, it refers to the divine prince, the Lord Jesus. Only a divine prince could accomplish the six divine decrees we just read about. No human emissary has ever succeeded in doing any of those things, putting an end to sin and transgression, judging it finally and totally, rendering it null and void, and ushering in an everlasting period of righteousness. Nobody has done that. No Republican, no Democrat, no nobody. Hasn't happened. The world has never seen it. So I know these things are God-sized initiatives, and therefore this prince must be God, Messiah, the Prince, uh, the Lord Jesus. So from the time of the decree to rebuild, 445 B.C., to the time of Messiah, Jesus, there are two periods of time indicated in verse 25. The first is seven weeks, and the second is 62 weeks. Not seven weeks, seven sevens. Seven periods of seven years. How much is seven times seven? Forty-nine. And that is exactly the time frame it took Ezra and Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it. And they did it, just as this verse says, even in times of distress. If you read in Ezra and Nehemiah, read the Bible, you see how much opposition uh, they built under. Nonetheless, the city was rebuilt in 49 years. That's the first period here, seven weeks, seven sevens, seven periods of seven years. And then it talks about this second period of time, 62 weeks. So if I'm correct and the weeks are years, the weeks mean seven, and we have 62 periods of seven years, now, this is a little bit more of a stretch, but how much is 62 times 7? Anyone know it real quick? I had to work this out. Hey, way to go. 434 years. So if you add these two periods, the 7 weeks and the 62 weeks, a total of 69 weeks, and you use our little formula, you have 49 years and 434 years. What is that total? A lot. <laughs> it totals exactly the period of time that takes us from Artaxerxes' decree to the triumphal entry of the Lord Jesus Christ in Jerusalem on the Day of Palms. That's why I say the 490 years is exactly what we have to work with, not weeks or months. So 
During the first period of time, the seven weeks, 49 years, Jerusalem is rebuilt under Ezra and Nehemiah. After this period of time, the second one, 62 weeks of years, 434 years began. If you add the two periods of time together, 49 and 434, you get 483 years, which is the time period between the issuing of the decree to rebuild in 445 B.C. and the coming of the Messiah, the Prince, the Lord Jesus. We've just spoken of Gabriel's 69 weeks out of 70. 69 weeks thus far in God's mountain range of prophetic events, including the coming of Messiah the Prince, the dying of Messiah the Prince, the rising of Messiah the Prince, which is required in order for the rule and reign of Messiah the Prince to be ushered in and be characterized by a period of everlasting righteousness. 69 weeks of Gabriel's prophecy to Daniel, 483 years. So, there's one week to go. The 70th week in God's prophetic range of key peaked future events. And, Lord willing, see, we don't know this. Only he knows what he has in mind for next week. We don't. But if he allows us to get back together We'll cover the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. And if you want to read ahead, and I surely encourage it, it's the next two verses. Just read verses 26 and 27 of Daniel chapter 9, and you will be in the 70th week of Daniel's prophecy. We'll speak about it. All right, folks. I really got juiced when I began to study this. Because I found this to be so much more intriguing and uplifting than watching the news. (laughs) I'm telling you. It's. This is better. And however we part here as friends who may differ. And there's room for it. Please, there's surely room for it. Let's not differ about this. Our God reigns. He is totally in control. Mare man can run around and do what he's doing and parcel up the very world our Father gave us to live in. But I tell you, this is my Father's world and yours. Oh, let me ne'er forget that though the wrong seems oft so strong. God is the ruler yet. This is our Father's world. I think he's given us insight into his mountain range of prophetic events just so that we would know. Take it easy. Relax. Be at peace. God is totally in control. We ought to be reminded of it. Let's sing the words of that hymn. Could I invite you to stand And we're going to sing that together. You'll see the words on the screen here in just a minute. This is my father's world. And John Mark is going to lead us. We'll do it. If you don't mind. Don't mind. Let's sing. This is my father's world. 
Oh, let me never.